Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be taking a brief look at tonight's game against the Buffalo Sabres, which was, uh, spoiler alert, a nice little win for the Jets and one that they most certainly needed to keep pace in the playoff race. Before we close out tonight, we'll also take a look at the rest of the NHL and particularly the Western Conference and see what exactly it's going to take for the Jets to make the postseason. And more importantly, who has to stumble in order for Winnipeg to take a wild card spot? But before starting a discussion on that whole scenario, it's important to take a look at how the Jets did against the Buffalo Sabres. In tonight's game, I felt like Winnipeg actually played pretty decent hockey. I wouldn't say it was outstanding, and it is still the Sabres, but we'll start with the first period, where I think both teams came out with a decent amount of jump. For some reason, the Jets seemed to struggle with Buffalo's, uh, essentially the forecheck around the net. And in tonight's game, that seemed to happen again. I think Buffalo likes to try a lot of wraparounds and low slot shots in traffic where they hope that the goalies are going to be screened because that's kind of what they did a lot tonight. They tried to use a lot of net front traffic to get deflections, and on a couple of opportunities, they actually had net front point-blank chances that ended up getting robbed by Connor Hellebuck. I think that in the first period, things were kind of trending Buffalo's way. Not 100%, but... At least in the early proceedings, the Sabres looked to have a very slight edge for at least a couple of minutes. As is often the case with the Jets, though, Winnipeg's shooting talent ended up turning the tide early. And in this case, it was Kyle Connor on a feed from Blake Wheeler who broke the ice first. Those two found themselves on a 2-on-1 that, I mean, Wheeler and, and Connor are both pretty decent shooters themselves, but Wheeler actually had a pretty decent pass to Connor and finally... Kyle Connor did not miss on an odd man situation. In the past, when they've had three-on-ones, I think that the Jets tend to overthink things, but when it's a two-on-one, it seems like both guys tend to be closer on the same page, and in this case, Connor was definitely on the same page and collected his 34th goal of the season. Connor off the puck is still going to struggle for obvious reasons, but when he's shooting and that is his best in front of net, he's still pretty potent, and uh, he definitely collected a nice goal here, which ended up starting to turn the tide for the Jets. Unfortunately, Winnipeg did take a couple of penalties, and on, I think, the second one that they took in the first period, the Jets ended up getting a nice break on this one, in that uh, there was kind of a forced turnover at the blue line, and I think Cop led a, essentially a breakout where Kyle Connor was in the middle on the central channel, and then somehow Tucker Pullman ended up net front in the offensive zone. I'm not sure why Pullman was the first guy essentially in the net front area, but after a couple of passes, Pullman ended up tipping a, a Connor pass right between uh, Carter Hutton's knee pads. Again, it's a very strange goal, and it's definitely the kind of thing that, under most situations, you would get burned on because this was still the PK. But I suppose you really don't get too upset about these things, especially since it's a nice shorthanded goal, and it's a goal contribution from Pullman, who really isn't known for these kinds of things. That said, I'm sure that Paul Maurice probably said, well, uh, maybe don't do that again, maybe don't get that aggressive. I felt like the Jets' D in general were a lot more aggressive and supportive throughout the game. They tended to drop below, I guess they usually hover around the the offensive blue line, which is fine. I mean, some guys do that as bumpers, but the Jets' D usually don't activate very much. Tonight, they almost activated a little bit too much, and I feel like the Pullman goal 
a shorthanded goal of all things ends up being kind of a case study in how Winnipeg's D are kind of all over the place. There was no real need for Pullman to be that high in the offensive zone, but that's where he found himself, so that's where it is. The rest of the period was fairly uneventful. At this point, I think Buffalo started to, to cave a little bit, you know, giving up two goals in about three minutes, one of them being an ugly shorthanded goal from a defenseman of all things. You end up starting to, I think it gets in your head a little bit. I think that the uh, the psychological battle started turning against Buffalo, and their offensive chances started to, to wane a little bit. In the second period, Buffalo still was pushing a bit. I, I don't think that they were, you know, really in the fight at this point. But we did see the Jets lose to this team just a couple of weeks ago, so I'm sure that that was sitting in the back of their minds thinking, well, maybe we do have a shot at this. All that said, things kind of took a a rough turn for them in the start of the second period when they got a little bit undisciplined and started taking some very silly penalties. And on the very first one, I believe, that they took in the second period, Kyle Connor collected a a rebound off of a Shifley one-timer that Carter Hutton just didn't seem to know was sitting on his pad. Connor, as he's known to do, poached the goal, and the Jets were up 3-0. And at this point, I think Buffalo was pretty much broken. The Sabres have had an absolutely miserable stretch. I believe they'd lost all three road games coming into tonight's road game. And you could see from their body language and just the way that they were playing, there was a lot of frustration and anger. They were actually pretty chippy throughout the game, and I feel like they were maybe throwing a few more checks and throwing a bit more frustration into their game than they normally would. I felt like some of the some of the hits and stuff that they were doing were a little edgy. They took one or two more penalties in the second period, and actually they could have gotten called for about three or four more. Some of them they let go because the Jets were already on a power play, but I felt like there were some really obvious calls, the non-call on Roslovic probably being the most annoying of all of them. I really didn't like that. I get that, you know, you're you're with a team that's down and has been losing at least, I don't know how many games Buffalo's lost this season, but they're, they're in lottery territory. And I get that you don't want to make things that much more miserable, but by the same token... Winnipeg could feel a bit hard done by the fact that the refs would look at extremely blatant calls and just let them go. Winnipeg did have a number of power play opportunities before this point, but again, I think you have to at least call one of the ones that was very obvious right in front of the ref, and the kind of thing that you just shouldn't be letting go. There were some extremely obvious stick slashes, there was the uh, a couple of trips on Roslovic, I mean, it, it's just not a good performance from the officiating crew. That said, though, it it wasn't enough to sink Winnipeg's ship. Things did get a little bit dicey towards the end of the second period. Rasmus Ristolainen ended up collecting a, a bit of a cheap goal where he came around and, and sort of muscled off a defender. And I, just above the goal line, he ended up throwing a puck towards the net that somehow bounced off of Hellebuck skating into the net. I thought it was honestly kind of funny because of all people, Ras, Rasmus Ristolainen scoring is kind of a, a bit of an amusing footnote. And I'm sure Hellebuck is probably going to disagree with that. But all in all, nothing you can really do about it. Helly probably should have been set a little bit better on his angles, but it's the kind of thing that, again, is a little bit fluky. And you can live with it. The Jets were already up 3 nothing, And you're usually going to concede at least one goal to two goals a night. So could be worse. The most dangerous thing to the Winnipeg Jets is having a lead. And I think that period three was probably the closest that we saw Buffalo start to, to push in this game. The Sabres were definitely, I would say, antsy and anxious. They were throwing a lot of pucks on net from very strange angles. They were trying to get the Jets moving a lot. I think that a couple of times they found some really good cross-seam passes that 
either just barely missed or Hellebuck deflected barely on the actual shooting attempt. The Sabres are a bad team, but make no mistake, this team does have the ability to, to hurt you if you're not paying attention. Guys like Kyle Ocposa, for some reason, have been Winnipeg's bane, and, you know, Jack Eichel, at his full best, is, is a really dangerous player. Although tonight he really struggled to get much going. It got to the point where Sam Reinhardt, who was formerly on the first line, ended up getting demoted, and, and in this place, Wayne Simmons came in. And what was kind of funny about this was Simmons had just taken a roughing penalty on Shifley and got a promotion to the first line as a result. I'm not 100% sure what the Sabres tend to do with these uh, lineups and stuff, but I don't think that Simmons being on your first line really sends the right message. You know, Buffalo's kids are all struggling to create and do more for this squad, and instead you promote the guy that you paid like a fourth-round pick for, a dude who's probably at the end of his career, and I don't know if that really sends the right message. I mean, Simmons is a tough guy and all, but what exactly does that do for the confidence of your kids? Probably not as much as you'd think. For as many chances as the Jets initially gave up, they started to push back towards the end of the third period, and I felt like Winnipeg actually got some pretty nice deflections and some very close shots that almost connected. Winnipeg was definitely primed to use the the uh, point shot tonight, which I don't usually love point shots because they're not that effective. Even if you tip and deflect them, there's not usually a high percentage that, that go in. But on, uh, on several opportunities tonight, I think the Jets actually got pretty close. Carter Hutton had to be sharp, and the Jets narrowly missed connecting on at least two or three opportunities. If I had to choose standouts tonight, I would probably go with Line A and Ehlers. I think that they were both outstanding for the Jets. Um, they were definitely our best forwards. And Line A was more unlucky than anything not to record too many points. Um, unfortunately, he, he had one two-on-one opportunity that he almost managed to get going, but at the last second as he was looking around to survey who he should pass to, he uh, kind of fumbled the puck and the, the scoring chance was broken up. He's definitely been taking over the puck-carrying duties for this team, especially in the offensive zone. And while I do like him growing his game and becoming a more versatile player, I'm not thrilled that he's taking his shooting out uh, as a result, and I feel like Winnipeg does need to have him play a little bit more of a versatile role. His shot should always be the primary thing that you know him for. Certainly his passing and, and vision were both on, on full display, and he had a couple of great passes to his teammates, but... I really do think that at even strength, they need to get his shot figured in more because it's not being utilized enough as is. As far as Ehlers is concerned, he was kind of buzzing the whole night. Uh, he and he and Line didn't really record any points, but those were the two guys making all of the space. For some reason, the Jets broadcast was praising you know Cody Eakin for, for his hard work and clearing the area in front of the net and stuff, but the reason that they say all that is because Ehlers and Liney were doing all of the space making around the perimeters, um, leading breakouts and zone possession time. Eakin was basically just a big body in front of the net, and even then, I didn't think that he was all that effective in this role. The Jets really need to find a second-line center that can keep pace with both Liney and Ehlers, because those two guys always think about the game at a very high level, and Eakin's not really in the prime of his career or, or even at a third or fourth line level. I mean, Eakin is, is fine enough in a depth role, but I feel like being cast as your second line center between two of your best offensive talents really isn't the right place for him to be plying his trade. The dude, unfortunately, just doesn't have the skill set and really can't keep up with the pace of how fast those guys are, are moving and how much they tend to predict play and, and like to set each other up. So, Winnipeg's primary offseason goal this, this year is going to be to find 
a 2C somewhere that can play between those two because if you can find them somebody who can handle puck distribution and also handle trail play, I think that that's going to be a really lethal line unit. I'd also say that Dmitry Kulikov was really good tonight. Um, he and Dylan DeMello both were standouts in my opinion. I think DeMello did as best as he could being paired with Josh Morrissey. Morrissey, of course, is still struggling and, you know, aside from one good game about a month or so ago, hasn't looked particularly great over the past couple of weeks, which continues to be a trend with him. He definitely is still dealing with some kind of an injury, and I think he's had more than one this season, so I don't really know what Morrissey's next season is going to look like, but I do know that Dylan DeMello on that first pairing is most certainly overdue. I thought DeMello was smart with his positioning. He tended to know when to pick his spots and when he needed to pinch. He sometimes had some pretty decent offensive activations and was, you know, certainly not afraid to get the puck on that even if the shot wasn't that effective. DeMello just seems like a capable top four guy, and I feel like, again, if the Jets can bring him in on a decent deal, say, for three seasons, I'm totally down with that. Kulikov I thought was very good. I thought that his reads were fine. He used his physicality effectively and shut down opposing passing lanes and shooting lanes. He's been good for the past couple of weeks. I noted that on my last podcast, and I think that that's continuing to hold true for this team. The only thing with extending Kulikov is whether or not you can get him on a reduced cost and whether or not he's going to stay healthy going forward. I do think that the Jets should investigate keeping him for maybe two seasons on like a one and a half to two million dollar deal. I don't know if, if he would accept that, but it's the kind of thing that I'd be at least giving strong consideration to. Kulikov is certainly not an offensive elite defenseman anymore, but he can be capable of, of handling at least second pairing minutes, and he's been good alongside Pionk, so I see no reason to really mess with us. A good thing if it's working. Um, the, the third pairing I thought was not particularly great. Bolu and Pullman are definitely, well, Bolu especially is probably not a third pairing defenseman. He might not be a seventh defenseman either. Pullman, I thought, was doing okay, but he still loses physical battles. And unfortunately, he just doesn't operate at a fast enough level to be more than like a 6D. On the whole, I was pretty happy with this performance from the Jets. I felt like they did enough to get two points, and on a night when Nashville got beaten by Minnesota, this presented an ideal opportunity for the Jets to at least stay ahead of the uh, the Wild for now and gain a little bit of ground on the Preds. Even though uh, Nashville still has some games on hand, and so do, so do the Wild, actually, um, anytime that you can claw some points in, you're going to have to. I mean, Winnipeg needs... I would say nine wins out of their next 14 games or so to, to get a wild card spot. Uh, the competition ahead of them is is pretty fierce, so let's take a brief look at who exactly the Jets are going to be chasing over the next couple of weeks. More than likely, Winnipeg is going to have to usurp one of Calgary or Vancouver for at least one of the two wild card spots. My general thought is that it's going to be Calgary because Vancouver has two games in hand and is only trailing Calgary uh, for that third Pacific spot by one point, so... Unless there's some sort of miraculous collapse, I do think that the Jets are going to be going after the Flames. And that's one of the teams that they'll be playing over the uh, next couple of weeks. Winnipeg can do wonders for its playoff chances if it really puts a hurtin' on the Pacific teams directly above it. They won't really do much with the Vegas Golden Knights because the Knights have five points on the uh, on the Flames and uh, six points on the Canucks. So I don't think that that's going to be enough for the Knights to fall into a wildcard spot. I think that they're probably going to stay in the top three of the Pacific pretty locked down. 
Winnipeg will be welcoming in the Canucks uh, and then facing Minnesota, Nashville, and Arizona over the next couple of weeks as well. And those are teams that are either trailing the Jets or likely to be ones most uh, heavily competing for those two wildcard spots. So this whole playoff race is going to come down to the wire. I think it could come down to the very last game. It's going to be really tight. And the Jets have played on average around two games more than the rest of their competition, which is certainly for the Jets not, not super ideal. The good news is that most of the Pacific Division has played about as many games as the Jets have, so in that respect, the the difference between, say, the wildcard one spot if a a Pacific team is going to own that and the Jets' record is going to be pretty minimal. What does concern me is that Minnesota has been winning a variety of games as of late, and they still have two games on the Jets with uh, only one point behind in the standings, and Winnipeg is going to have a hard time fending that squad off. I think the the post Pedro era has been pretty good to the wild. They were still good even with Bruce in, in command, but even now the the Minnesota Wild are going to be a real thorn to remove from from Winnipeg's side. I think that the Preds at this point are probably going to be falling out of a playoff race. That team is exceptionally mediocre with at this point a defense that's not really NHL caliber anymore, and they don't really have the goal scoring to hide the fact that they're just sort of mediocre and have very poor goaltending. So. At this point, I'm not really counting on the Preds to do much. I think Minnesota presents the most immediate danger to Winnipeg's playoff hopes if, if they can't hold the second wildcard spot. I think the ideal scenario is that the Jets trounce one of the Pacific teams to get at least wildcard one locked down so that they can have a little bit of breathing room if they end up getting pushed down to wildcard two. They'll have several opportunities to get some standing points and push down the opponents that are directly chasing them or above them over the next couple of weeks, but... I have to be honest, I think that the the percentage odds that the Jets make the playoffs is still pretty low, and even if they make it, they have to face a team potentially like St. Louis, and I don't think that that favors the Jets all that much. The Blues are playing really good hockey as of late. Certainly their record says as much, but uh, the underlying numbers look very positive for all of their offensive numbers. Their defensive record continues to be very strong. This is just not a good squad to face in the first round. I don't know what the Jets are going to do because they are slowly getting healthier as time goes on, but even if they get guys like Matthew Perot, Adam Lowry, and uh, whoever else back off off of injured reserve or short-term injury, I uh, I have a hard time seeing this team lasting through a a first-round series, especially against a top-ranked team like the Blues. Um, St. Louis has like a very boring defensive style, but they've started to turn at least the offensive side of their game up to another level, so... The Jets have a very tough matchup. If Winnipeg does somehow miraculously survive the first round, there are quite a few Western teams that could easily take their lunch money, and I feel like any one of Vegas, Colorado, Dallas, those squads are all in some capacity scary. I think that the Avs maybe have the most inflated offensive record, but that's a very dangerous team on the power play, at even strength. I mean, they have some of the best offensive passers in the league, and they have some remarkably great scorers. Unfortunately, I think that guys like Cody Aiken, you know, that's Winnipeg's one of their two big trade deadline acquisitions. That you know, he's not really going to be a difference maker for the squad, barring a surprise. Dylan Demello probably will have the most positive impact going forward, but that's if he gets enough ice time. I hope that Maurice keeps Morrissey Demello going forward because I don't think that any other defensive pairing on your first is going to work out very well, unless he swapped Morrissey and Kulikov, which. I, I don't think that he would, and I'm not sure that that changes things either. 
All I can say is you have to hope that Connor Hellebuck continues to put up his performances because otherwise the Jets are going to be in some pretty serious trouble going forward. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.